Hey, this is Pastor Dave from Cross Point Church. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We are a church on the move to redeem people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can learn more about us by checking out our website at crosspointwestdallas.com. You can watch one of our services by going to our YouTube channel at Cross Point Church West Dallas. More than anything, we'd love to meet you in person and for you to be our guest on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We meet every Sunday at 11,000 West Oklahoma Avenue in the great city of West Dallas. We would love to see you soon. And may God use this message to give power and grace to you today. My fault. That's always my fault. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Thank you, Haley, for leading us on that last song. That was great. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those of you who don't know, we've been, we we started a series last fall, a 325-week series through the entire Bible. We are uh, working our way through the entire Bible from beginning to end, and um, we're breaking it up into these kind of mini-series, and so today we're, we're starting in the book of Exodus. We made it through Genesis, and uh, we're going to be in the book of Exodus for about eight weeks, and this series is called In His Presence. And I wanted to start by asking, uh, if, have you ever been in a conversation with someone, and they brought up a person that you both knew? And, and then after talking about this person, after the, you know, talking about this shared acquaintance that you had, you realized that you weren't talking about the same person. Has that ever happened to you? And, uh, well, that's happened to me a bunch of times. In fact, uh, this last summer, I was having a conversation with a new neighbor, and I always go uh, make a point to introduce myself to new neighbors, and you should too. And uh, it's a great way to, uh, to be on the move in your own neighborhood with the gospel. And we were just talking, getting acquainted. He was about my age, and he just had just bought his mom's house, um, and I was like, oh, you know what? Uh, we bought my parents' house uh, about 15 years ago. I, I grew up in that house down there. He's like, no way. He's like, what's your name again? I said, uh, and by the way, his mom, he had grew, grown up in the same neighborhood, in, the, in that same house. And uh, I was like, Dave. He's like, no way. Are you the Dave? that w- We used to hang out as kids. We hung out all the time. I was like, no way. I don't even recognize you. He's like, I don't recognize you either. <laughs> and we kept talking and talking, and I eventually, it, it occurred to me that I was not the Dave that he grew up with as a kid. It, it, it just happened, it just so happened that another Dave, who is exactly my age, grew up in the same house. And my parents bought the house from that Dave's parents. So I'm like, how did the, oh my gosh, that's crazy. We thought that we, we were so old that we couldn't remember spending all this time together as kids. And it just, it just turned out that we were talking about, a, he thought I was a completely different Dave, and I did too. Um, so it, it took me sharing some things about my personal story for us to figure that out. So what is it that sets one Dave apart from another? 
It's their story. And what is it that sets one God apart from another? It's their story. God has a story. What do you mean when you talk about God? Who are you talking about? Do you think everyone means the same thing when they talk about God? Do you think that every Christian means the same thing when they talk about God? When we talk about God, it's very important to know who or what we are talking about. Who is God? (laughs) I mean, what a basic but important question. Who is God? We could start by going all the way back to Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. And in, the, in, the, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning, comma, God. That's how the Bible starts. That's how God's story start, starts. That word for God in Genesis 1, 1 and throughout the book of Genesis is the Hebrew word Elohim, which is a, a, a common noun that means God. It's a, it's a way that the ancient Israelites used to talk about God so that other people knew who they're talking about. We're talking about the creator of the universe, the one true God, Elohim. It's not a common, it's not a uh, proper noun. It's not the name of God. It's a common noun that ancient Israelites used to talk about God. Today, we're going to take this a step further because in the early chapters of Exodus, by the way, Exodus is all about God's presence with God's people. That's what the book of Exodus is all about. It's, it, God's presence is revealed time and time again to his people. Whether it's a burning bush or a bunch of plagues or a, a parting of a great sea or the giving of the law uh, or the building of a tent where God's going to dwell. It's all about God's presence. This is God showing up time and time again to reveal himself to his people. And in the early chapters of Genesis, God shows up, his presence shows up in a way that it never had before. And we're going to jump in at the end of chapter 2. We're going to skip over uh, the first, most of the first two chapters, which talk about the beginning of the life of Moses. And, and a lot of Exodus is about this guy Moses, which we'll discover. Um, but what happened was, just to, to, so we could, just if I could build a bridge from Genesis to Exodus, at the end of the book of Genesis, if you guys might, might remember this, that it, it's... The author of Genesis, Moses, had traced this, uh, the, the story of Joseph for the last about 13 chapters. And Joseph ended up in, in the land of Egypt. God led Joseph to Egypt, uh, mostly against his will. And Joseph ended up second in command in, in all, all the nation of Egypt. And eventually, Joseph's brothers and his whole family were brought to Egypt because of this famine. And they ended up settling there in Egypt. There are only 70 of them. But by Exodus Chapter 2, there are thousands of people who belong to, Jacob's family had grown from 70 to 1,000 strong, and there was a new king in Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he saw the Israelites as a threat. And so what he did to take care of this threat and to make sure that the, the people of Israel wouldn't get too strong is he subjugated them through very uh, uh, ruthless, abusive slavery. In, in fact, in, in Exodus chapter 1, we're told 
that the, the life of the Israelites had become bitter through this oppressive slavery. And when we get to the end of chapter 2, the king has changed again, but the harsh and oppressive living conditions for the Israelites have not changed. And so we're going to pick the story up in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but we will have these verses up on the screen for you. And here's what we read at the end of Exodus chapter 2. Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. So what's going to happen next? How does God act? God hears their cries. They're pleading with God, help us, help us, help us. God hears them and he decides and he knows. He knows. That, that's what the, the, the language literally means. It's just God, God knew. God knew that he, that he had to do something. So what does God do? He acts by coming down to reveal his presence to a man and this man happens to be a shepherd, and we're going to read about him next. The next verse, Exodus 3, verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, just, I'm going to pause for a second. At this point, Moses knew, I mean, when Moses first answered, he doesn't know who's talking to him. But now he does. He knows he's in the presence of God. This is the God he's been hearing about his whole life. But he's about to get some new information about God, and, and, and about th this information he's about to receive about God is going to change the way that he and the rest of the nation of Israel think about God from here on out. So picking up in verse 7, then the Lord said to him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries and distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering, so I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. 
But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. This is the word of God. We're going to talk about God's name, which is really the climax of this passage and the turning point of the whole book of Exodus, but first we're going to talk about some of the ways that God reveals himself to Moses and to us. And this past week I posted a question to the Crosspoint Facebook group. If you're not on the Crosspoint Facebook group, you should look it up and maybe we'll let you in. It's a, it's a closed, it's a private closed, closed book. I'm kidding. If you, you'll, be, you'll be let in. There's no, you don't have to jump through any hoops or anything, but I asked the question, how has God revealed himself to you in 2021? And here are some responses that I received. Someone said, God showed me I had some bitterness in my heart and I need to forgive more. Someone else said, God showed me, uh, God showed my family that Crosspoint is going to be our church home. And it's been awesome getting to know people in our new church family. Someone else said, God revealed my anxiety to me, which deepened my prayer life. And someone else said, God revealed to our family that he wants us to be a foster family and start the process of becoming foster parents. Nobody said anything about a burning bush. Um, And that's okay because... Honestly, or, or even like a, you know, sometimes Christians, we use language nobody else even knows what we're talking about. Someone might say, I had a burning bush experience. What does that mean? It means that they had some supernatural encounter with God that they could not explain, where they, maybe they've had a dream or a, visi- uh, a visible encounter. Uh, uh, or, you know, I heard God speak to me in some mystical or even audible way. And I don't, I don't believe that, you know, every Christian needs to have a supernatural encounter with God. I, but every Christian does need to have their life disrupted by God. God will disrupt the ordinary stuff of your life to get your attention and call you closer. God will speak to you in some way. God will reveal his presence to you. And how does God do that? Well, one of the ways God does that is God reveals himself by using unlikely people from unlikely places. That's, <laughs> that's who Moses is. That's where Moses is. God loves finding nobodies from the middle of nowhere and using them for great things. And, and this is, we saw this when we, when we went through our Christmas series. This is all over the Christmas narratives. We see God doing that. Here's a nobody from the middle of nowhere, and I'm going to use them to reveal myself in the flesh to the world. 
I mean, every character, every key person in the Christmas narratives is totally unexpected. But this pattern started way back, way back in the early chapters of the Bible, in the early chapters of Exodus. When we get to Exodus 3, Moses' life was at a dead end. He was a disappointment. He'd been, he had been a rising star in Egypt. He was an adopted he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He was in, uh, uh, the next, <clears throat> excuse me, a prince of Egypt. He, and then he messed it all up in a fit of rage. He murdered an Egyptian and he's forced into exile. He's, he's forgotten. He's an old man. He's 80 years old. He, the last 40 years, he's been in, wandering the wilderness in the mountains as a shepherd I mean, and, and you might even look at him, he's like, he's like in retirement. He's just waiting to die. And it is at this stage of his life when God says, okay, now you're ready. Think about that. Not only was Moses an unlikely choice, but God reaches out for him in the backside of the wilderness. This is one of the most barren places on the planet. Sinai, which is also uh, referred to as Mount Horeb, is a very, Horeb literally means parched place. There's, nobody goes, there's nobody there. There's nobody living there. Moses, for we, I mean, it's anybody's guess why Moses took his flock all the way out to, to there. This, this is not even close to his home. And this is where, he's totally isolated and alone, and this is where God shows up. The Gospels tell us that Jesus would often rise early in the morning while it was still dark, and he would walk for miles to be out in the wilderness where there was nobody around so that he could be alone with his father. Because, and why do you think that is? Because out in the desert where there is nothing and no one to distract you is the perfect setting for an encounter with God. You might not encounter God in your office or your shop or even in your home. It might not even happen at church. Because there's so many distractions, so many things to distract us. Sometimes it is necessary to completely isolate yourself and unplug and go out alone to a place where nobody could find you except for God. And here's another pattern we see throughout the Bible. That God reveals himself and his presence by using humble people who the world sees as small and weak and insignificant God doesn't normally choose famous and powerful people. God's ways are not our ways. God's, God's messengers are normally lowly people from humble places where no one would choose to live, and they normally feel inadequate to do whatever it is God's called them to do. And that tells us that God is a God who sees. Because, I don't know if you heard this, but after God reveals his holiness to Moses and says, take off your sandals, this is holy ground. What does God announce next? He says, I have seen, I have heard, and I am aware. I, I, I am aware. I, I see my people. I've heard their cries. I know their pain. I know what it is they're going through. I feel it myself. And I'm about to do something about it. God is not indifferent to our pain. 
And God sees past those people who are big in the world's eyes, and he fixes his gaze on those who are small. He sees us in our weaknesses and our failures. He sees us no matter how far we've wandered or how far we've fallen. And he intends to use us even after we feel washed up or used up. Because God is compassionate, and he's merciful, and he reveals this about himself by choosing Moses. But God didn't just choose Moses, God called Moses by name. And that tells us that God reveals himself when he calls a sinner by name. God shouts Moses' name not once but twice, which tells us that God knew Moses And this is how God calls all sinners. All sinners are called by God. In John chapter 10, verse 3, Jesus was describing God to people and and revealing things about God. This is what Jesus did. He went around telling people about God. This is what God is really like. You thought this about God? He's he's really like this. And Jesus used all kinds of metaphors, and he does does this in John chapter 3. He's talking about shepherds and gates and uh, the, the shepherd and opening the gate for the sheep to come in and letting them out and all that kind of stuff. And this is what he says. The gatekeeper, who's God, opens the gate for him and the sheep, the shepherd, and the sheep recognize his voice, the shepherd's voice, and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And then, and then Jesus reveals, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who leads the sheep. I'm the one who calls the sheep. I call the sheep by name and they recognize my voice. They know my voice and they follow me. How do the sheep know his voice? Because they know the shepherd and they follow the the shepherd when they hear his voice. Because the shepherd calls the sheep by name. God knows your name. He knows your name. He knows your pain. He knows your trouble. And he calls you. He calls you near to him. He, Jesus leads, the, he sa- it says he leads his sheep out, out of darkness, out of bondage, out of the realm of spiritual confusion where everyone decides for themselves who God is and who God's going to be for them. And, and they just do what feels right for them. And everyone just defines God on their own terms. That's not how God operates. You don't become a Christian through a philosophical uh, journey of self-discovery. You become a Christian because you heard the call of Jesus and answered. And that's how God reveals himself to people. That's how it always happens. God reveals Christ. There's another passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul said that God shines the light of Christ in individual people so that they can see the glory of Christ and then their life is never the same. They hear the call of Jesus. And I love how Moses responds to God's call. He, he protests. Have you ever protested to God? Have you ever questioned God? Moses did. He's like, who am I? I'm a nobody. I can't do that. This isn't the first time or the second time that Moses will protest God. And honestly, I believe you are not ready to be used by God until you feel inadequate and until you feel useless, until you feel like your purpose has maybe passed you by. Here's how not to respond to God's call, by the way. 
Oh, finally, God, you've noticed my talents and my potential. You know, I might be a little overqualified for that. Is there anything else you got for me? Do not ever. I mean, you're, honestly, if that's how you feel about yourself, you won't even hear God's voice. You're too proud. If you want to hear God's call, you must first lower yourself. And Moses is right to feel inadequate. Jesus once told his disciples in John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can't do anything. You can't do anything. <clears throat> this last week I was thinking about Phil and Patty Bowen. Phil's one of our elders. He's on our preaching team. Most of you know him. And I got his permission to share this. Um, they started coming to our church in 2004. And uh, <clears throat> Phil was a lot like Moses, <laughs> except that he wasn't old like he is now. Phil was only in his late, <laughs> he's, he, was, he was only in his late 30s, but he already felt broken down and used up, spiritually speaking. Some of you didn't know this about Phil. He felt like his purpose in God's plan had passed him by because Phil had been a pastor for many years at a, at a great church, but he messed up, and he wasn't sure God could ever use him again. So Phil determined that he was not going to ask God for anything else. He, he was not going to ask God to, he, he was not going to promote himself in any way, or ask to teach or preach or do anything that might elevate him above anyone else in the church. He left his future and his calling in God's hands. Later that same year, my wife and I were directing the high school youth group at the time. And later that same year, I asked Phil and Patty, because they weren't serving, <laughs> they weren't asking to serve, they weren't, you know, they were, they were like, we're not going to do anything unless someone asks us. And then we're going to ask God and make sure that this is from him. And so they weren't doing anything at the time, and <clears throat> we needed youth group leaders. Our youth group was growing, and so we asked Phil and Patty, and I was like, there's no way they're, they're not going to do this. This is probably way out of their comfort zone. And to my surprise, they said yes. And they were amazing youth group leaders. They, the, the stu our students loved them, and they learned so much about following Jesus from Phil and Patty. And uh, later, uh, I, think, I think the following year, it was that our, um, we had a, every year we had a student-led worship service where our students led the worship and uh, one of our, myself or one of the other volunteers shared a message and God gave Phil the opportunity to preach at that service. And I will never forget that sermon. I remember where he preached from um, Ephesians 2, it was an amazing sermon, it was so powerful and it was so, our whole church was blessed by it. The reason I share, you, share that with you is because that's, that's the right attitude to have if you want to be used by God. When, when people come to our church, I do not want to meet them and then hear a verbal list of credentials. You don't need to promote yourself to me or to anybody. If you're here, that's enough. That's enough. If you want to, be, if you want to serve, ask how you can serve. We are, we're going to discover what, who God's called you to be. We, we might even be able to help you 
discover who God's called you to be. Now, the most amazing thing that happens in Exodus 3 is actually not God calling Moses' name. It's God sharing his name with Moses. So God reveals himself by telling Moses his name. And this is the first time God reveals his personal name. God's name is translated in your Bible, probably, I am in capital letters or something to that effect. But, <coughs> excuse me, the literal translation is Yahweh. It's actually just Y-H-W-H, but we put vowels in there so that we can say it. Otherwise, it sounded like we were clearing our throats, right? So we say Yahweh. Yahweh is the only proper name of God in the Bible. It is the personal name of God. It is used, it appears over 6,500 times in the Old Testament. But when Jews come across this name, they don't say it out loud because they consider it too sacred. It's too personal. And in Hebrew, the word name is more than a label attached to a person. It tells us something about that person's character or being. So what the question we really should ask is what does Yahweh tell us about God? What, what, what does I am mean? Or it, it can be translated I am who I am or I will be as I will be. What does that even mean? Here's what, I, here's what it means. I'm just putting this in my own words, okay? Here's what it means. This name tells us that God will be with his people no matter what happens, because God's character never changes. That's basically what, what God is saying to Moses. And maybe the simplest translation is I am. That's it. I am. That's who God is. I will be what I am no matter what you're going through, no matter how badly you failed. I will be with you. I will not change. I will be what I am forever. God is I am. His presence is his identity. God never said, I am who you want me to be. Okay, that, that's the way Americans define God. They believe God is whoever we want him to be. You know, it's the God you can shape and manipulate for your own ends, the God you can disagree with, the God who is your sidekick, the God who's there if you absolutely need him. No, no, we're not talking about the same God. We're talking about the God who is. The God who doesn't need you. The God who doesn't need anyone. The God who does not exist in a, among, among a class of beings. The God whose existence is not dependent on anyone or anything. This is the great I am. And God then names himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, this is the God of promises, the God of providence, the God who brings good from evil. He can bring good out of evil intentions and evil people. Nobody can thwart God's plan. Nobody can stop God from fulfilling his promises. So, so when God informs Moses that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God is making himself the subject of a grand story that started generations ago. In other words, this is the God who created the earth and all living things. This is the God who breathed life and, and put his image into human beings. 
making them in his own image. This is the God who made promises to Abraham and then sent him far away to wander for the rest of his life. This is the God, the same God, who gave Abraham and his wife a son when they were near 100 years old. This is the same God who provided a sacrifice for Abraham at the last second when he lifted his hand with the knife about to sacrifice his own son. This is the same God who provided two sons to Isaac and Rebekah when they were infertile and had prayed and waited for 20 years to have a child. This is the same God who renewed his covenant with Jacob, the scrappy deceiver with the messy life who manipulated everyone close to him. This is the same God who came down and wrestled with Jacob the night before he thought his life was going to end. So what? Why does any of that matter? Because now Moses knows who he's dealing with. Now he realizes this God has a story. Moses, who was born an Israelite, had certainly heard all these stories when he was growing up, those first 40 years he was living in Egypt. Moses was already a believer in God, but now he's having an, an encounter with the living God who just called him, him by name and attached himself to this story of redemption that started all the way back at the creation of the universe and is still in motion with all kinds of promises dangling, unmet, hovering over the people of Israel who have been waiting on God for nearly 400 years, waiting for God to answer them, waiting for God to save them. This God has a name. This God has a story. That's how Moses knows who he's speaking to, who's calling him, and, and that's how he knows who's about to send him. So the last thing we're going to see here is that God reveals himself by coming down to us. That's what God says to Moses. I'm coming down. I'm coming down. I'm here. I'm going to rescue my people. And I'm going to use you to do it. Listen again to what God said to Moses. I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. This is the God who comes down to us. This is the God who comes down to rescue us. Last month, we, we learned from Matthew chapter 1 that one of the names Matthew gives to Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Could it be? Could it be? We're talking about the same God? Because many hundreds of years after, God's, after Moses' encounter with God, God comes down again, not in a fire, but in the flesh. Jesus would say, throughout his ministry, Jesus would say, I am, many times. He said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. But in John 8, Jesus said something that his audience could not believe. In fact, when he said it, 
they picked up stones to kill him, and Jesus had to escape. He was teaching in the temple, and a large crowd had gathered, and Jesus was teaching about sin and freedom. His message was not well-received. People generally do not like to hear that they are rotten on the inside, and there's nothing they can do to change that. Then Jesus began telling them how to change, but they didn't want to hear it. They kept saying, we don't need to change. Why are you ta- why, who are you to talk about changing us? Did you even come from God? And then Jesus dropped a bomb. He said this in John 8, 58. I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Jesus, in other words, he's like, I did not just come from God. I am God. I am God. And they, they understood what he was saying. Everyone who heard that understood what he was saying. And that's why they picked up stones. He was saying he was God, the only God, the true God, the same God who came down and revealed his presence to Moses in the burning bush to rescue Israel. The same God who told Moses his real name. Listen, we don't appreciate how scandalous this was. Israelites were not even allowed to utter that name. And here Jesus not only says the name, but he gives it to himself. (laughs) It would have been shocking to them. So let me ask you something important today. When was the last time you knew you were in the presence of God? When was the last time you knew that God was with you? I want you to think about that for a minute. Have you been in the presence of God? How do you know? When was the last time God disrupted your life so that all you could do was stand in amazement and stare? When was the last time God spoke to you? When was the last time God called your name? Over the next couple months, we're going to discover what it means to be in God's presence. We're going to look for God together. And I can't think of a better way to start 2022 than for us to turn aside from the clutter and the ordinary stuff of life, all the stuff we have to get done, all the stuff that we, have to, we will get anxious about. You know the stuff I'm talking about. We get anxious about our career. We're anxious about our jobs. We're anxious about our kids' future. We're anxious about money. We get anxious about our health. It is time to turn aside and to stand in amazement at the God of the universe who came down, who calls us by name, who's ready to rescue us from whatever it is that's troubling us. It's time to stop being anxious. It's time to stop cluttering our lives with all kinds of things that, we, that, that don't really matter. Maybe it's time to go out into the wilderness where only God can find us so that we can be in his presence again. We want Cross Point Church to be a family who, who when we talk about God, we know who we're talking about. 
I, I, I want us to be the kind of church where people come to us, they come to gather with us, and we sing, and we hear from God's word, and we, we learn something about God we never, we never knew before, where we hear something about God we've never heard before, or we see something about God we've never seen before, and then we can say, yes, I know who we're talking about now. I want that to happen every single week with somebody. Because this is the God who called all of us by name. He chose us and called us and he brought us together. And we're a family now. We're brothers and sisters. We are one through the Spirit. We are one in Jesus Christ. That's what matters. That's why we take communion. So may you remember this week who you are and who God is. And may we experience his presence this week. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and that you still speak today and you still call sinners by name. God, you've seen past our weaknesses and our failures. You see us, God, you hear us, and you are ready to save. We ask, God, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would speak through the ordinary stuff of life, through the clutter, through the busyness, that you would reveal yourself to us this week, that we would seek you, God, that we would seek after you. That's what you want us to do. You want to be known. You are ready for us to find you. You are ready to show yourself to us. May we seek hard after you this week and this year. Change our hearts, God. Convict us by your spirit and reveal your true self to us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, Pastor Dave, thanks again for listening to this message. We want you to know that what you just heard is a glimpse of what happens on Sunday mornings, but you know, the church is so much more than what happens on a Sunday mornings. Coming to a service is, is just a slice of who we are and what God is doing in and through us. So we would love to get to know you and let you get to know us. And maybe the best way to do that is come to one of our services, but you can also go to our website and fill out a contact form and one of our pastors will follow up with you very shortly. Until then, we hope you have a great day and thanks again for listening.